Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. G'day, Lincolns, and welcome to the Celtic Down Under podcast. I'm your host, Jared, and joining me tonight on the Wednesday Pot Noodle are Johnny, Sean, and Shane. How are you, Johnny? I'm good, Jared. I'm doing good. It's getting very cold and wet here at the moment in Queensland, which is no fun at all. Um, I've just, uh, last night, I watched Bullet Train for the first time. I don't know if anybody's seen that. It's good. Yeah, it's a good oh, movie. Christ almighty. I did not expect that to be as good as it was. It's yeah. almost like a Tarantino film. Like, you mm-hmm. know, yeah, bit of fun, bit of nonsense, but yeah, funny. So the, re- the the new one, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. Relatively yeah. new. I think it's yeah, yeah. yeah. That's me just getting around to bloody watching it. So now I enjoyed it. It was good. Happy days. How are you doing, Shane? Yeah, not too bad. Um, apologies if the voice is a little bit rough. I still haven't recovered from uh, from the weekend. Um, footies, uh, or I should clarify, AFL footy started uh, just this weekend gone and uh I got to uh, wander along and see my beloved West Coast Eagles uh, start the season with a loss um, and <laughs> vented a fair bit, both pre and post. So the voice may hold up. Apologies if it doesn't. And Sean, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm just wondering if, how much Shane's getting paid at work with that new Celtic top and that fancy new mic. <laughs> yes, like my box over here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was at the beach with like uh, 200 um Teenagers today, so I'm pretty burst, but I'll power through. Talk about the Celtic. <laughs> Happy days, man. Happy days. Yeah, we'll um we'll start off with the usual shout. So if you haven't done so, please hit the subscribe button on. If you're watching this on YouTube, notification bell. If you're listening to the audio version of the podcast, please subscribe to the Celtic Down Under podcast via your podcast app. Other than that, we'll crack on. So we're gonna 
talk about Celtic 3, Hibs 1 on the weekend. Now, the main review of that was on Monday, the weekend review hosted by yourself, Sean. So we've you've gone into some good detail there with Anthony, Tommy and Paul. So that's where the main review is there, if you like. If you want to check that out, it's on the YouTube channel. It's on the podcast. Um, I said my bit on the game last night when I was on with the Tuesday crew. So we'll throw to you, Johnny, and get your overall take on the game and go from there. Yeah, well, firstly, I've got to admit, I never watched it live. Um, I was at a festival, um, the Night Feast in Brisbane, currently comes once uh, once a year in for all of March. So, yeah, I, I watched a little bit on my phone, but um, I watched some of the highlights back and stuff, and I thought it was uh, just, yeah, the same as usual, as, as we've all said in the name of the pod and stuff. We uh, dominated. Um, I thought, you know, some of the key moments for me was I think the penalty that Hibs got was uh, I think that was pretty clear I think um, as however you want to play it stuff that was pulled a shirt in the box and that's a penalty if it was the other end so we we've got to take that on the chin and cop it the other one other ones that I really thought was like should have been a penalty for for Celtic was for me the David Marshall foul on Abada I don't I just don't understand how that can go all the way to uh, you know reviewing it. Um, and still not calling a penny, missed the ball, totally took out a bad up, goal scoring opportunity. Don't know, don't know, you know, don't know what's happened there. That's just my interpretation of that. To be honest, I think that should have been a penalty for us. Um, again, another one, Haxabanovich, you know, the, the guy that I doesn't don't think really sits in the spotlight, scores another screamer. So he's he's, I don't know if he's proven me wrong, but he's uh, certainly going from strength to strength. So. More of that would be would be would be great. It was a brilliant goal. So, yeah, I just thought we we dominated the game very well, start to finish. And Shane, what was your take on the game? Uh, I just want to touch on the penalty for a bar to one, just really quick. So, um, it was initially given as a pen, um, but then when you look back at the replay, a barter actually kicks his foot into the ground, which is what actually causes him to then effectively tumble into Marshall. So. Marshall mm. didn't really take him out. He actually kicked his foot into the ground and then effectively kind of fell forward in that motion. So I think in the end, like live, I was like, oh, that's a pen. But looking at the replay, I was like, oh, no, he's kicked the ground. That's And then just sort of tumbled forward. So that that's why that one was actually overturned. And I think they got the good, they got the right decision there. Actually, speaking very quickly about the ref, I thought the ref had a pretty decent game from what we've seen in, uh, in prior matches. I thought he was... Um, relatively decent. I thought there were a couple of tough decisions which could have gone either way, um, particularly the sending off uh, of the hips player for kicking Carter Vickers. That really was six of one, half dozen of the other, as they say. You know, I don't think you can begrudge him for making the decision either way. Um, and he just had a talking to prior to that for obviously his uh, effectively his uh, rash kind of challenge on Starfelt. So, but look, overall in the game, I thought we started pretty well. I thought that opening 10 minutes, we, we looked pretty good. And then Hatate comes off injured and we just seemed to lose a little bit of momentum. We were still getting on the ball. We were still getting into okay areas, but we weren't really creating a lot from where we were and the clear-cut chances we sort of, we sort of did create, we probably should have done better with, to be quite honest with you. Um, but I don't think in that first half we ever, real, ever really got into our usual kind of flow or rhythm. 
I thought the second half we we looked a lot better. Um, I thought we our movement was better. Our third, our passing had a lot more zip to it. it. Seemed to be a bit more usual uh, to to what we see and the way we play. And I I always felt the goals were eventually going to come. It probably came a little later than than we all thought. But um, look, you know, for a game where we didn't really play probably up to our standard in. In probably either half, to be fair, I don't think the second half was anywhere near the best that we've been. We still came away three-one winners, and I think that's um, you know something we can really hang our hat on. I think for me, off the back of it, is that's three straight games where we've conceded the first goal in them. So I'm hoping that we get through that and um, start getting the early goals again. But as you said last night, I don't want to take it for granted that we're going to score an early goal in the first ten minutes every week, but. The, the fight from the team coming in and, you know, conceding the early – they get the red card, they're down to 10, then they get the early goal. You know they're going to park the bus. They're going to be, like, defending super deep. So to know that, okay, now we're up against it, we've got to somehow break this down and score, it was an ugly game, the time wasting and all of that, just the fact that we grounded out and got through to there and got the goals in the end. Like, I thought it was going to be a 2-1. And then seeing Haksabanovic coming back in for that last goal there was just – Class, so um, all up with that, yeah, pretty happy overall. But we got the win, picked up the three points. That's the main thing. Um, there was a comment that you made there, Shane. You actually said that VAR got a decision right, and we know how much you hate VAR, so we'll discuss that later on in the pod anyway. But I just thought it was, um, yeah, it was it was interesting to see that the. That, that actually was the right call. But, yeah, same as you. When I watched it, I thought it was a pen every day of the week. Mm. I, I didn't think it was a pen, to be honest. <clears throat> Are we talking the, the bad one, sorry, still? Yeah, yeah. I, no, I didn't think it was a pen. <clears throat> but, yeah, um, I think one thing we need to just remember is that how much of a difference losing Hitati made the game. So we were without Hitati and Moy. So, yeah, we didn't play great, but... We were also without Hitati and Moy uh, for the duration of the game. And Iwata would have came in if he wasn't also injured. So we were, after Callum McGregor, we were down to our last two. And that's why Ben Summers was kind of on the bench there, which would have been an interesting thing to see and maybe part of a wider conversation about um, youth players getting their chance uh, at Celtic. Um, and like you're right, the, the intensity did pick up in the second half. But even then, we'd, we did start pretty well, but that's also three games, uh, three league games in a row where we went 1-0 down. And I don't really know what to attribute that to. Is it just statistical anomaly, given it didn't happen 26 games before, not once? Yeah, it's, just, it's a hard one to answer, really. I mean, I, look, put, putting the green-tinted glasses on for a second, I, I, I do think that uh, refs might be looking for any reason to give uh, a penny against Celtic and give other teams an opportunity you know operation stops Zerg, but it could also just be it's coming towards the end of a season you know mistakes are going to happen and i'm not saying like necessarily fatigue but just you know you know it's a long campaign right every season so it just be like small mistakes that might have gotten away with the beginning of the season and now they're getting more exaggerated something like that do you know what I, mean? I, I, I don't necessarily think it's something that we need to be overtly um concerned with it's just we always seem to bounce back from them. If it was different, if we were drawing games, then it might be more of a concern. The other thing is we've got like the walking wounded on the pitch. Like Greg Taylor has to stay on the pitch at half time to avoid stiffening up. 
Carter Vickers is can't can't go away in international duty because he needs he needs a break. It's time to recover. You know, Abada pulled up last night for uh, Israel. Um, there's a you know there's a few others as well. Like I, I feel like I don't know if we're I feel like this time last season as well. This kind of started to pop up, and we ended up going into the semi final last year. Like players were limping. Do you know what I mean? We were. What, did we not end up with Welsh at right back and who was who was the left back in that game? Um, wasn't Taylor or someone else? But we yeah, we we basically had like reserve players coming on uh, for that semi final. Uh, I, I hope our strong our squad is stronger now, but even then, like I want I worry about it a little bit. I think the um, international breaks come at a really good time for us. We obviously had Moy and, and Awata missing through respective injuries as well. Hopefully, and what I've heard, Hitate should be okay after the break or should be relatively close to okay. So we've, it's come at a pretty decent window for us. I guess we kind of play, you know, for all intents and purposes, a really intense kind of brand of football. Um, there really is no let up. And we've had a lot of games recently as well. Um and it sort of fits in with what you're saying last year. I remember what you're talking about. I don't know if it's just simply a byproduct of the way we play and and the fixture condition or whether there's something else to it. But, um, oh, look, it is a little bit concerning. I think if this had fallen outside of the international break window, I'd be a bit more concerned. But now we've got this little this little window of rest. Um, I'm a, a little bit more comfortable. The, the reason why I stood out so much last year was because they, they the other team were playing... Uh, midweek games in Europe, so we're going into the semi-final, going, oh, they're going to be burst from Europe, and they ended up like looking the fitter team on the day, and we're like, what's going on? Do you know what I mean like there's no reason why they should look fitter than us here, and that was why it kind of stood, stands out in my memory. Hmm. So we'll bring up with some comments that we've had come through so far. So uh, Patrick McLaughlin, Hatade going off really upset our rhythm. It was like it was like kicking off again when Turnbull came on. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then uh, another comment from Patrick is we were struggling after 65 minutes in the game this time last year. So, and then Andrew Galea saying the break will be good for a few of the players. Patrick saying most fans were also saying Hatade was running on empty as well 12 months ago. So, yeah, that's factual. We do kind of forget that. I so, said it too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, all in all, as RL77 says here, I think if Turnbull wants to continue at Celtic, he needs to work on his movement and his stamina. Surprised he hasn't improved those things. So that's something that he'll need to improve because, there's a, as I said last night on the uh, Tuesday crew, there's certain pairings in the midfield that don't seem to work well together. Like you can't play Moy and Turnbull together. O'Reilly and Turnbull, I don't think they work well to, as well together because if you've got a Hatate out there with them and Kelmack, you've got two guys who can do the running for them. So I actually think what would have happened is if uh, Awada was fit, he would have come on, Kelmack would have pushed forward rather than Turnbull coming on on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Mm. The other thing as well, we was talking about Turnbull's stamina. I'm not sure Turnbull has a stamina issue. I think he has a intensity issue because he tends to score most of his goals late in the game. Do you know what I mean? He does score late goals quite consistently. Uh, I know Part of that's due to coming off the bench, but even when he starts, he'll still tend to score late goals. Um, so I feel like he's maybe keeping some in the tank at all times. Yeah, I thought our midfield third looked pretty, uh, pretty sort of, I guess, uh, not up to standard against Hibbs on the weekend. I thought the middle third really kind of struggled, particularly in that first half. And I, we miss Hatate's what I call in 
industrious kind of behavior. You look at the way he works in that midfield. He's a workhorse just a bit higher up than than Kalmak. And I think we really get a benefit when him and Kalmak are in the team together. And then you've got a player like a Moy uh, who can obviously doesn't possess that kind of, um, I guess, ability to be as industrious, but, you know, is thinking ahead and can pick a pass. Um, and so having both Turnbull and O'Reilly together, who I would see more in a similar light, um, I think we we struggled a little bit without Hatate sort of buzzing around there. Got a comment yeah. here from Andrew as well saying other teams are starting to kick us about. And then Michael's Michael's done the same deal here as well, agreeing with him. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, all well and good there. So, yeah, there's it's, some stuff going it's on a, over the it's a, white fl- it's a white flag, Jared, isn't it? That from these teams, it's a white flag. It's saying we give up on playing football. We can't do it. We know we can't play football against you, so we're going to figure something else out and see if that see works. Anti-football, go out there, and if you can't... It's the old saying, if you can't win the game, win the fight. That sort of mm-hmm. seems like mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Pretty much. Just, they're just chucking it. They've just chucked it. No, yeah. What's the point even trying to play football? These guys are too good. I thought it was really unusual from Hibbs, like, um, you know, a very un-Hibbs kind of performance. And even that, that doesn't necessarily extend to them putting all the, the players behind the ball, but that just extends to all the time wasting, the kicking the ball back onto the pitch from the dugout and stuff like that it was really disappointing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was one yellow card issued for it. David Marshall did the same thing, got away with it. It's getting pretty frustrating. Like, it's... Mm. And what was it? Uh, I still remember the one Kilmarnock and Alan Power enters when the ball boy tries to give the ball to the Celtic player and he intercepts the the pass from the ball boy. And it's like, come on, man! Like, <laughs> but, and if referees let him do it, Callum McGregor had to have a word about Kilmarnock players kicking the ball away. Uh, was it Kilmarnock? I can't remember. Samirin, maybe what? Maybe it's Samirin. I think it was Samirin. Yeah, yeah. They were every time it was a free kick, they were actively kicking the ball away and let Cal McGregor had to say to the ref and then even then there was still a warning before anyone got booked so it was the the, the referees bear responsibility for this not opposition not just, us just laughing at um the Lee Johnson um who uh had a had a pretty good game himself and uh, I was re-watching the highlights today and at one point I saw Ange had the um uh, had the uh, the hoodie over the head kind of thing, and I I, I wasn't sure if it was of, of the rain or just to block out Lee Johnson's voice. To be honest, <laughs> yeah. Post match comments were um, uh, I don't need you to tell me what uh, when the reporter asked him about what Lee Johnson said. Is that I don't need you to tell me what Lee Johnson said. I, I heard it for ninety five to hundred minutes. <laughs> Ange doesn't miss. Let's be honest there. So what I thought we'll do before we we crack on to the next couple of topics is I thought I'd bring up the um, SPFL league table just so we can see and discuss that for a bit. So that's where we're currently at at the moment with 29 games played each. So it's at nine games left. So as you can see, everyone here is aware Celtic on top. Is that the right one? Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's it's still, because it's... the home and away is split, but it's right. Oh, okay, yeah, that's what I was looking at. Going, hang on, what's with the draws? Yeah, so we've got yes, us on top by nine. Then you've got Rangers and in second. Then there's daylight to third, which is Hearts, who are four points ahead of Aberdeen. <laughs> yeah, Sean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
So looking at this, like it's pretty close all up from say fourth through to eighth spot. There's nine points in it. So the same distance between first and second you've got from fourth through to eighth. So, and then even Motherwell's third is 11 points off, off fourth. So still a lot to play there. So it, the league is just chopping and changing at the moment. So I'll go to you, Sean, overall, mm-hmm. Any teams not where you thought they would be at this point in the year? Well, Dundee United. Yeah, Dundee United for sure. Yeah, I thought they would be higher up. I didn't. I thought they had some really good players, uh, Dylan Levitt and uh, some uh, Edwards in defence, Fletcher up front. I thought they'd be a top six team, to be totally honest with you. Uh, but they've been very poor. Um, yeah, I, I think apart from that, it's starting to shake out the way it should be with Hearts, Aberdeen, and Hibs there, uh, and. Yeah, and if Dundee United's in that mix, then that's your top six teams, really, isn't it? For me, I'm looking at it going, okay, so the battle is for six spot, realistically. Like, I think Hibbs, Aberdeen and Hearts, as you said, will be third, fourth, fifth, but it's who's going to be getting that sixth spot in the split. Because we could we could easily see at the end of the season post-split, the team in seventh having more points than the team that finished in sixth. So yeah. I'm looking at it going... St. Mirren, St. Johnson, Livingston, Motherwell. So, I mean, one of those four there. Killy, Ross County, and Dundee United are all pretty much playing for their lives down the bottom there. And those three are all pretty close, three points in it. So, that that's going to be – there's a little group there. There's a little group in the middle, and then there's the top five. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to uh, – yeah, we'll see what what happened there. But – um. Yeah, we've got a couple of comments here from Patrick McLaughlin. 18 points for the title or 15 if we beat Servco. So I'll get this off this table off there. But Shane, John, if you've got anything you want to add about that, go for it. Um, look, I'll jump in real quick. I'll probably echo Sean's comments. I'm surprised by Dundee United um, being at the foot of the table. And obviously they, um, they're in Europe at the start of the season, had a pretty awful start to the season under Jack Ross and... Um, Despite the changes, they haven't really ever gotten to, into a rhythm, which is a little surprising. Um, I still think they've got enough quality to get out of it, but it'll be um, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, that goes from there. I think the most surprising thing, not so much in terms of not expecting them to be there, but just a recent surprise is uh, how Aberdeen have kind of snuck up to fourth again, um, and they're only four points off uh, Hart sitting in third. It only felt like you know a month ago, or just a tick over a month ago after. Um, El Sakiko, that that Aberdeen were were really kind of mid table and mired in that mid table for the rest of the season, and yet they could sneak up to third in a couple of weeks' time. I don't know if that's more a reflection. It's probably a reflection on them and them turning things around, but it's probably also a reflection on Hearts as well. We've had a lot of chatter from from um, that side of Edinburgh about um, them wanting to kind of assert themselves as a as a force and a third place team. It would be a a little bit of a shock for them to cede that to uh, Aberdeen, who have been relatively poor for uh, points of the season. Johnny, yeah, you got I very much agree with that. I think it is good. I think it's also good to see the the Dons getting back to that sort of strength again. Um, I think, I, as much as I also agree, Dundee United's a big shock. Um, I think St Mirren's and the, the way they've been playing this season is, is also a, sh- a bit of a shock for me. I think there's always like one team every season that does way better than you think they are, like what they think they should be doing. Um, St Johnson, Motherwell for years. I think Livingston are always in and around the sort of top six or just nearly. 
Um, but yeah, there's always like one team that seems to do, to do very well. Similar, and this season seems to be that team. If um, if Livingston finish six, then we're we're due to go away to every team after the split. Ah, oh, Christ! If it's, uh, so is the we're due to go away to Sevco, Aberdeen, Hibs, Hearts, and Livingston are the teams we're due to go away to. We won't. We'll get two home games. But, yeah, uh, that doesn't happen, though, does it? <laughs> yeah, you, you always, yeah, you always, you always get a couple of home games in this bit. Yeah, but it'll be two of the teams will be third time at Celtic Park. Hmm. Well, we got some comments here. So Andrew, there you go, Patrick McLaughlin. It's between Livy and St Mirren for six, in his opinion. Andrew Galea, the teams three to five have been the worst teams at Celtic Park this year. Uh, Michael Ross. Hope Killy go down. Yeah, don't want their plastic Always. pitch. Out. And then we got Craggy, Craggy White. Hope Ange stays for the non-fiction 55. <laughs> Me yeah, too. So, I think we all do. So a bit of news here that was re- reported and released over the weekend that South Korean broadcaster SPO TV have signed a deal to show all Celtic games live starting in April. This is some great exposure for Celtic in not just the Korean market, but also in Southeast Asia and this side of the world. So, Shane, what's your thoughts on that? I think it's wonderful. I think it's a pity it didn't start sooner. Imagine if they'd started on the weekend and those scores that cracking header to put us 2-1 up and gets the kid off and shows the rig. That would have been exactly what they're after, right? Uh, look, I think it's I think it's a great move. I think it's great for us to get that exposure on the the you know, in the Asian market, but also it shows a lot of, um, I guess, buy-in from the broadcaster as well that they think uh, it'll uh, command attention. So I'm all for it, and I hope other markets around the world uh, do the same, not just necessarily with Celtic, but I'd extend that to uh, the Scottish League in general. And I'm I'm looking squarely at Australia and uh, seeing, and I don't know how much control we have over it and how much control, you know, those in Scotland have over it, but I'd love to see... Um, more of Celtic and more of the Scottish League in Australia and available for people to watch. So I'm all for this. Well, it's also good exposure for the teams in over in Scotland as well, not just us, as you said, Shane, because if you look at it, there's a team, a lot of teams struggle for sponsorship. And if you got a bunch of Japanese team players over there and you got that view, and then you've got Korean market, which has a lot of good, decent companies that like to invest in football as well. You imagine if suddenly you're seeing different like Korean sponsorships on the side of the stadiums or on shirt fronts or whatever as well. It's it's going to be some options there. So it's not just good for us as a club. It's good for the league in general and the health of football in general. So yeah, I'm I'm all for it as well. But we'll we'll throw it to you, Sean. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I actually thought that they'd started before the weekend, so I thought that was a good open. I thought they'd got the the lucky opening of having O scoring the winner uh, on the same weekend that they started broadcasting. I didn't realise it was April. Um, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it's definitely good to get the increasing the brand exposure, but that's not why we're signing these players. The reason we're signing these players is um, because it's markets that are under poached from in terms of or competition with England to get players, and also because, um, yeah, and just because, uh, yeah, I, I guess that's the main reason. Uh, uh, they're underexplored markets, so you know we could be we could be signing players from like Egypt or whatever, and it, it's not for commercial reasons. It's because 
oh, we think there's value here that other people are overlooking. Uh, it's almost moneyable, but it's not quite. So yeah, the more countries we can, um, more countries we can get around uh, with our brand, the better. But that's football has to come first, and uh, but then the marketing department then has to capitalize on any opportunities that arise from that, and always definitely one of those and he's looking like he he might be a bit of a player uh so far he's getting better and yeah it's good to see him scoring that winning goal yeah the only reason i brought that up sean not be, i'm not saying that it's a marketing ploy okay i just wanted to say in general on that front because if you have a look at it and you go we got the japanese guys they didn't it's taken celtic forever to actually get celtic shirts in the adidas store over in tokyo as liam's told us numerous times it's finally happened like 18 months in. You get Owe in and to have something happen this quick. You look at a club like Man United, for instance, and they have so many international partners and corporate partners. They've got the tyre company. They've got whatever. They've got, they've got hotels. They've got a whole bunch of different partners and stuff, and that's what I'm referring to as well. It's not just you look at it in terms of the footballer on the pitch I was doing the is doing the business for us. And I'm sure if we were to lose someone from the midfield in the summer, there'd be a technical player there who'd be able to come in. That's an, As you said, that's a market that we can go and explore and afford players from with the wages, the transfer fee, and they do the job. So we can go and get these players. And the more we do that, the more you can grow your commercial revenue off the back of it as a club. And then we can spend more on players again and keep turning it over and just in, in, incremental games year on year on year on year. To do better in Europe, one of the points that um, the Twenty Minute Times podcast made that was quite good was that um, this Kyogo and Hitati not getting called up for Japan actually kind of harms us going into these markets because it's going to be a negative uh, that agents and players look at as well. It might uh, harm my international chances if we go there. So I'm really hoping something gets done with that Hitati and uh, Kyogo international situation uh, as much as we like to. Uh, you know, turn it around in other ways. So we've got a comment here from Andrew. There's so much talent in Asia. Um, then we've got, is there a, a world-class keeper we can get? And he's taking mm-hmm. the words out of my mouth here. There's a good young Aussie keeper. Young yeah, Gauchi. It's a joke Gauchi from out. He looks the part. Okay. Were you going to say, no, Sorry, I thought you'd, you'd paused. I think it was your... The, the my internet's lagging or something. Sorry. <laughs> oh, good. So, Johnny, over to you for the final part on this. Well, yeah. Look, I agree everybody, with everybody's sentiments here. I think, um, I think this is nothing but good. Uh, I think um, all of the things about the Asian markets being sort of relatively um, untapped by some of the bigger leagues in Europe and stuff. And I think that this is a really good opportunity just to highlight. Um, Celtics brand in any any sort of country that we have players from. Um, I, I, I agree, Sean. I think this is going to be a case of where uh, the marketing department needs to react um, to to exploit all of the financial benefits of having a, a, a superstar from a certain country. Um, but I also think, just on on a wider topic, um, I think there are markets that our marketing department should be targeting heavier, despite not having. Um, players from and I'm thinking like India and I'm thinking okay America won't we do actually have an American players why are we not you know hitting that really hard we've talked about Australia we've talked about Japan um, 
we really need to be like sort of maybe some of like the bigger African countries like Nigeria and stuff. Like, why are we not going out and, and marketing a brand as much as we can? Is there other things that are in our way? You know, if you are from say China, do you really want to be watching Scottish football? If you don't want to watch your Chinese league or do you want to be watching the Premier League or the, the league or whatever? So it's a hard thing to do. So I think, I think the opportunity comes when you've got like a superstar from a certain country, you go, yeah, great. Fantastic. Korean, TV show wants to broadcast Celtic games, then let's lean really heavy into this. Let's, you know, make sure that there's Celtic shirts in all the shops. Like we've talked about that before. Um, let's do tours and stuff like that, which we, you know, we've done the Australian one, doing the Japan one, all of those things. Those these are really good positive things. I think we just need to um I think we need to be a little bit more astute with it. I think we need to be a bit more reactive with it. Um and I think this is a you know, this is this is a really good start and I just hope we continue that momentum to be honest. As I was saying earlier, sponsorship potential, get Samsung to replace staff for better as the main sponsor. There you go. Absolutely. Yeah. That would work. So no betting. No we've got anarchy. a couple of uh, yep. got a couple of uh nice little topics to go through now. So we'll start off with the Glasgow Derby away ticket fiasco that's going on. So the story is, I'm sure everyone's aware of it, Celtic has basically said that they're not going to accept any away tickets at Ibrox because of security reasons for our fans. And that also means that because of that, there won't be any away tickets given to Sefco. So first of all, I want to find out from each of you, what's your overall thoughts on that? And then we're going to go through what's the long-term ideal solution and we'll go through a few options. So we'll go to you, Johnny. What's your thoughts? Well, I hate this, to be honest. I think this is, I think fiasco is the right word, Jared. Um, I think I think somebody needs just needs to be the bigger team, to be honest. And I think we need to draw a line under this whole thing. Like I understand that um, Servco was sick to their back teeth of watching us beat them in Ibrox and stuff but like it and that's how it's all started right it's just been because we were we're completely dominant I, I I don't know personally how much I can believe the security issues I don't understand how it's any different than any other time we've had away fans we had what was it 8,000 at one point like what's the what's the security issues is police Scotland pulling out are they are they saying that we're not going to commit as many staff as before like I, I, I feel like this like what the issue was last time when we played at Ibrox was that because they're only given us 700 seats, the guys had to be in the seats now before they could only go in through certain places. Then once the game was over, they had to be held there an hour after the game as well to let all the all the, the horrible hun horde out. And then once they're all out, then it's like, okay, and then you got to exit from a certain gate as well. So it was like really slow instruction. There wasn't enough security in the area. Um, the The area where they're going to the toilets, getting drink, what food, whatever, it was all accessible in the concourse as well by by some Hun fans from what I've heard. So all these little things that up. There was guys that I know online and stuff like that, getting batteries thrown at them, cups of piss thrown on them, all that sort of stuff. So I can understand it, like what they mean by security reasons. When you had a whole stand to yourself with eight or 7,000 fans in it, it's a lot easier to keep it controlled because – that whole stand is accessible only for your your support. I mean, look, that I, th- I think that's fair. I just think that there are multiple other situations across Europe where you have a sim- where you have the same setup. 
where they don't have the same issues. You, the, you certain um, leagues and teams will have nets up. They'll have screens up. There's you know there's there's a plethora of re- of things that you could do quite quickly, cheaply, and easily that would resolve these issues. And I feel like it's either w- willfully refusing to do these things. Um, or there's like some gross negligence where like you're saying that there's just not enough like security staff or, or somebody like, you know, maybe a private security firm's pulling out or something like that. And I just think that that's, it, it's just enough is enough to be honest. Like we need to go back to the, to the bigger crowds. It needs to be back to the big events that it was having this token, 700, 800 fans each. is just, it kind of, it doesn't kill the, it doesn't kill the event. But it just, it just made, it, it, we're talking about like selling Celtic and selling the league and stuff. And it's, it, it literally hurts both of us by doing this. Like we, we've just, we've, we've got to be adults about it. We've got to like come together and just be like, okay, let's go back to the 8,000. That's what made it a, spe- a spectacle and stuff. And that's really what we wanted to see. It's, it's good for both of us. Good for the, you know, Sky Sports or BT, whoever it is, what's a via play, whoever it is. And we'll just get back to that sort of big event. I just, I actually just think they're excuses to be honest. These like security so things, or um, you know, the the um, whatever reasons. Like, what was it with a uh, Chris Sutton stuff? Like, he couldn't go into Ibrox. All these like tiny little security issues. I think they're just excuses to be honest. But I think it's at the end of the day, it's just petty, in my opinion. So, John, were you saying that other teams in Europe have the situation where away fans don't come to the derbies? Or are you talking about? No, I mean like the, you know, like the. Uh, chucking stuff across um, stands oh, right, and okay. stuff, and and you, you see they see them like you know the big nets that are in front and stuff, or the sides of wherever the way fans are sitting or screens or whatever it is. I mean that's that's a that's a really worst case scenario, but like at least it's something, right? At least it gets like fans into the stadiums and stuff. So yeah, but wasn't there a story in some Italian game where someone chucked a Vespa off the top tier or something like that? <laughs> I don't know that, but that is the most Italian thing I think I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. <laughs> I swear I'm not making that up. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> did he? Did he like frisbee a pizza as well? As like, I, I mean, from the sounds of it, it's a miracle no one died. <laughs> yeah, ch- very, very much so. Chucked a moped off top tier. Oh Jesus! Yeah. So basically, <laughs> what we're going to say, John, something you mentioned there, which was something that we're going to talk about. One of the next questions I had anyway, which was. Does the lack of away fans in the crowd kill off what makes the Glasgow Derby such a special environment on match day? And I believe it does. You have a look at the Cup semi-final the other day. I mean, the sorry, the League Cup final where it was a 50-50 split and just hearing the crowd and the singing and all that sort of stuff. And to me, that that was quality. And then to go to this situation here where it's no no away fans for a couple of games. It's just gonna be uh just gonna be, you know, not not seem as good. But Shane, we'll jump to you for your overall take and then we'll talk about the solution off the back of you and Sean have a saying your your take on this for what we've discussed so far. Yeah, so look, I share Johnny's sentiments in a sense that uh I don't like the situation. It's it's frustrating that it is where it's at now. But um I also sort of um, back the club in making this decision uh, on the grounds of safety. And uh, I think it's important to take supporter safety really seriously. And it does feel like um, our current allocation at Ibrox, we're very, where our fans are very isolated. Um, Jared, you listed a number of reasons relating to the concourse that make it a little bit of a, 
uh, a risk for trouble and and obviously you know being kind of hemmed in like that uh, and more exposed to either of the uh, top tiered stands there's a lot more risk there than than when we had the the uh, actual full uh, as at the Broomland end um, or the eight thousand or so so look I agree um, I would love to see something happen for it and we'll get onto that in a second but um, look I I think if the club is is making this decision based on fan safety and concern I'm I'm actually backing them in for it. Uh, actually, yeah, I actually thought we could have been a, like a little bit more petty about it and just offered them like five tickets instead of zero. <laughs> like just to, like you know, because the, the SPFL rules are right, like a reasonable number of tickets will go well. If you want to bring all your fans in in one car, then you know, then that's fine. That's safe. We can manage that. Well, that's... The, the wee boys, you know, protect your car so that your motor doesn't get stolen. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so, so I thought that would have been the, the best way to kind of, but this is, it's not going to, you've got the the Sevco fans smuggling weapons into games, hiding them in bins, hiding them inside banners. Uh, I can only imagine what sort of weapons that is. Uh, they must be pretty big if they're hiding them in those areas. Uh, but this is not going to change. Uh, Sevco won't change. The only way it's going to change is if the SPFL actually change their rules, which is why we had uh, more fans at Tynecastle than we've had in league games because there's an SFA rule for the cup that they have to give us, um, is it 5%? Something like that. I, 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 don't, yeah, I don't remember I the number so. is, but there's like a, there's an actual number in the SFA rules, a percentage that uh, Hearts had to give us. So we actually have more fans than normal at Tynecastle. So until the SPFL do that, it's not going to change. So this, this is the status quo until the SPFL get involved. So before we get, get into, before we get into the next thing, Maguire, as Ian, Edward and Dembele to play. Throwing the winner with 10 win was a straw that broke the camel's back. Sure was. And mm-hmm. Michael Ross, it's last week's fault, still in the police hat. But that was there at Celtic go. Park. No, the one yeah. at Ibrox, <laughs> the one at Ibrox was when he scored to make it 5-1. And, or was it 5-0 or 5-1? Was that the diving header? 5-1. No, no, it was the one where he uh, dribbled it around a few players in the edge of the box and then curled players. it in. Yeah. Yeah, and then took his top off and went nuts. <laughs> so it, it was not it was not an understated celebration, but the police hat was actually at Celtic Park. Yeah, fair enough. So the options that we've got on the table, which have been discussed, right? So what would be the ideal long-term solution? So what Celtic wants is it to go back to the old allocation before Sevco shut the bed, which is we get the Broomline stand, which is 7,000 tickets. They get 8,000 at Celtic Park. Another option is what what Sevco want is keep it at 700 each. The talk is that we've got for the rest of this season is no away fans at all, which I don't want. I think what makes this derby so special is the fans and the football. But the solution that everyone's talking, you just touched on it there, Sean, is do we use the European allocations of five percent being of being a five percent of the stadium's capacity as a compromise between the two, so that would mean we get about I think two and a half to three thousand tickets at Ibrox, and they'd get, what they get about we get two and a half, they'd get three two and a half, and they'd get three thousand. So, is that an option? That's probably best in a, you know, best option we could probably get, I reckon, because basically it's a dick swinging contest between. The two clubs at the moment, one wanting the old one, one wanting what it currently is. So is there a compromise to be had here? What's the Shane, percentage what's your, your solution? Yeah. So what's the UEFA percentage? 
which is what the SP, what you were saying before about the SFA or whatever, is the same. Okay. Um, ideal solution is to go back the way it was, of course. Um, I just want to echo your sentiments. I think the um, the game is a little bit detracted with the lack of away fans and the lack of that kind of uh, cauldron atmosphere. Um, so I'd love to see it go back to the way it was. Um, but echoing Sean's comments, there's been a lot of changes, particularly at Ibrox around ticketing, that that might make that pretty difficult um, and possibly also at Paradise as well. Um, I think if that's not a possibility, then then hopefully the middle ground of that uh, percentage that you were just talking about, the two or 3,000, which from recollection, I'm just focusing on Ibrox for a second, for the European games means that, fans would kind of get a, a section of the, the two-tiered Broomland stand end as well as that corner pocket from memory. And I think, um, you know, if we're going to work look at a workaround, if we can't go back to normal, I think we have to push hard for that one. Um, wouldn't be ideal, but um, in circumstances, it's probably the best we can get. I've just seen that e, the EPL rules are at least 3,000 tickets or 10% if this. If that's if the stadium is less than thirty thousand, you get ten percent. So basically, going to Bournemouth, you'd get twelve hundred tickets. If that's the case, is that how small their stadium is? Honestly, I I truly think that something serious is going to have to happen. And and I and I mean when I say serious, I mean like there's going to be a really bad event. I think someone's going to get seriously hurt before anything proper is done about this. If if it's if we're talking about safety and stuff, I don't. I don't quite understand the safety argument when why, why can it not extend to saying like Celtic players are, are Celtic players unsafe in uh, Ibrox and stuff like like if Celtic fans are unsafe and therefore they're, it's I, I just feel like the safety thing is an entire cop because you, if if you're saying exactly what you were saying Jared before about like why don't you just open it back up to the the thousands of fans that it was and then therefore it's more safe surely that's the that's the opportunity that's the only thing you can do then right if it's we want fans in the stadium. Sefco accept that they want fans, but 700 is unsafe. Well, 3,000 is safe or, or, or 5,000 is safe. So go back to that number and they, they'll just never will. So I, I think somebody's getting going to get hurt or the, you know, the, the revenue is going to drop dramatically or something's going to happen. And then, and then, then something will happen. Otherwise it's just, I think, I think it's just games of bogey to be honest. We saw it before the, uh, the league cup final, you know, the, Guys getting out in the streets, you know, bit of fisticuffs going on pre-game. So that's still sound. But as you're saying there, John, Andrew's got a comment here. The stadiums are full. I can't see it changing soon. Patrick McLaughlin's got a comment. The club making statements about safety concerns only encourages their support to act out, if you ask me. Yeah, I agree. Plus the non-action of the smash bottle in Jarrett's penalty box just encourages it further. So if you look at it all from that front, yeah, we've got a... um. Bit of an option here. So we've got the Maguire Cup semis at Hamden. Definitely have more feeling to them with 50-50 split. And then Andrew's like, we could take one of the derbies to Hampton. Uh, I don't see either club giving up home tickets <laughs> for that. Yeah, Especially just on 60,000. How big's Hampton? Like 45, 50,000, something like that? It's 50, yeah. yeah. So just on, uh, on Maguire's point, right? Why, why is it safe at Hampden to have a 50-50 split, but unsafe? For uh, because you certain... close off roads on either side, mm. so you've got right. a, a, half, half approaching from one side of the city and half approaching from the other side. But if right. you've got, but you can't do that if you've only got seven hundred people going in because you can't shut off a whole quarter of the side. 
because they, they remember the first game when the allocation was reduced, there was a crush uh, with the Celtic fans, and that was didn't the we have didn't we because have fucking was... metal walls up for PSG no. or something? Didn't we? I swear we had something. Like, we had like big barricades up for one of the European games. Yeah, and so they put them up. They they closed them after the games. They, every uh, every home game they closed them after the games to force fans to go to stop. But that was the the first time after it was cut. The the Celtic fans. The, so because we had much more Celtic fans and they still had the area closed off the whatever street is closed off for the Sevco fans so there was a lot more Celtic fans going around the back of the stadium than, than normal because there's normally 6,000 Sevco fans and, and there was 5,000 Celtic fans instead so it created a crush in that area that was not because of anything other than there being more Celtic fans and them not being able to go in other directions you're being far far too reasonable and sensible you make too much sense <laughs> this is this is <laughs> unacceptable <laughs> he's on monday but i could actually talk serious stuff <laughs> yeah that's a, yeah something something pot noodle yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah, I don't know. I, something's something's got to give, but it's I I I think my feelings are quite known. So I I just don't like the way that it is. I think it was better when, even when like I had mates coming up from England and stuff and watching derbies, they thought the atmosphere was cracking when it was you know the however many men five thousand whatever it was we said, um, Sevco fans. It's better. It's just better. It's better for everyone. We're going to try and get back to that somehow. I'll bring this up real quickly. The explanation is Hunza mental. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. We'll, we'll crack on to the next topic here. So all the talk at the moment is of Lila Barda is rumoured to have rejected a new deal at Celtic and wants to move on in the summer to join an EPL team. Rumours are Southampton are lining up a move for him. What are your thoughts on this story, Johnny? Do you think there's any truth to it? Potentially, I, I, from recent events with players moving on, I think we can never uh, completely dispel these rumours. I think there's there's probably some truth in all of them. Um, is Southampton a good place for a Barda? Probably not. Um, I still think he's got a lot of development and growing to go. Um, I think I look. I I I personally, when I when I first read the stories about like the the refusing to sign contract extensions and stuff, I think that's because he's on a really good trajectory. He's on a really good development path. I actually think it's a case of uh, why would he accept a contract now at a lower salary or a lower a weekly wage when he could have a season and a half far better than he is now and actually get more at the end of it or more more in a year. So I, I, that's how I read it, to be honest. Uh, but if it is a case of like, nah, he he's had you know a whisper in his ear, and Southampton are knocking at the door. I don't think it's a bad move for him. I I, I think it's a shame, but um, yeah, it's this is one of those ones. I, I hope he doesn't go um at all. I think we definitely need that type of player at Celtic. So um, yeah, ten ten million seems a bit low for that type of that type of player, but somewhere that's, between twelve that's and twenty. Yeah, that's the room fees, ten million pound now. On that, I want to just say something with Abada. This is his second season at the club. Who did we have on loan before Abada come to the club for two seasons? We loaned Alanusi from Southampton, and he was a sixteen million pound player. So if that sixteen million pound winger can't make it there and get games at Southampton, 
do you really think the 10 million pound winger coming down from us is going to get games there? Yeah. That's exactly. the realist the realist in me here. Now I actually rate Abada better than I ever did with Alanusi, but that's beside the point. So for me, yeah, I know long term he's always said he wanted to play in the EPL, but I think he could probably do better than Southampton, but it could be that that long path that we've always had from us to Southampton to get your next move. So if that's going to happen, Shane, I want to get your opinion on it so far. If there's any truth to it, what do you think the fee should be? And just your overall thoughts, both you and Sean. Well, I know we've been burnt recently by a couple of um, key players moving on um, in Juranovic and Jakimakis. But when I read this story, it just feels like there's... I don't know if there's a, as much to this as the previous ones. It feels like there's a lot of water to go under this bridge. It's, um, what is it, his old manager basically saying he wants to leave us and head down south? because uh, I think it's the Israel manager. Israel manager, apologies. So, you know, there's a, I'm just not too sure how much I read into it. Um, but, look, if Southampton, if Southampton, sorry, are rumoured to be in for him, I can never get pricing right. You know, my my lack of financial uh, credentials in every aspect. I'd say 10 mil sounds a little bit too low. I'd be looking to go a little bit north of that, maybe 12 to 13. Um, but I, my personal view is I'd hope, well, even if he went for 10 mil, we'd st- still be turning a profit after we bought him, of course, um, and a decent one as well. But I'd hope that he'd stay, to be honest. He's... Um, he's very young. I think he's got, uh, I think his ceiling's quite high and I think he'd prosper by continuing to stay around and, and play at Celtic uh, playing our way and under Ange. So I'd like to think he takes that into account and, um, and sticks around. Um, yeah, that's my take. Well, look, let's, let's be, let's be fair about Frank about it. Abada's currently a backup player. He's behind Maeda, he's behind Jota, he's probably you could argue he's neck and neck with Haxabanovich. Uh So normally when you're getting rid of a backup winger, usually you're just kicking them out the door and just hoping to replace them for a few mil. Uh, if we're in a position where we are looking to move on our backup winger for 10 million and create an opportunity to actually potentially even bring someone in who's better than Maeda, Otherwise, a Jota, but that kind of level, a Jota level player, uh, on the back of a ten million transfer for Abada, then that is a great position of strength to be in. Hundred percent, and yeah, it's something I was thinking as well. We'll come up here was this comment here. He'd be mad to leave before another Champions League campaign. Like, get him another year in that and see what sort of move he could get as well. But yeah, you're bang on there, Sean, with what I'm thinking. You get him out, you reinvest that money. Um, Tam Clintoff, if Abada wants to go, we should let him. Total faith manager will replace him with a better player. Um, it's a backup winger. So, yeah, I had a couple of options and things that I've heard in the last few days here. So I just wanted to run a few past you. So if Abada moves on, do we go back to Peter Lowell style, pocket the money and put Haksabanovich over that side or do we bring Mikey Johnson back and play him or do we bring, um, what's his name, Rocco Varda up to be the backup winger for that pathway from the from the Colts into the first team that we've been talking about. Those are things I've been saying a bit everywhere. Would any of them float your boat at all, Johnny? Uh, look, for me personally, I think I think Fatten 
would over Johnson every single day. I think I think MG's done at Celtic. Um, I th- I think if um, we are to understand Angers and everyone here's uh, aspirations, it's got to be Europe, right? So I think we need we would hopefully take that money and improve and double down and stuff. And I, I, what I wouldn't like to see is just you know skimming off eight million and buying a one point two five million player, hoping he's you know. You know, half decent. I don't want to see any of that anymore. And we haven't done that since Andrew's come in. So that's, you know, I, I doubt that will ever happen. But we just hopefully we reinvest that in exactly like Sean was saying, a Maeda Jota replacement would just be phenomenal. So yeah, that's what I'd like to see. And maybe I think Vata is just as well as. I don't think it's it's instead of. I think we just give Vata the opportunities to get him ready to be playing for the first team whenever they come up. So. I think you know, he's going early, to be the long- early League Cup game and stuff. Rocco's going to be the long-term replacement for the role that Jamesy Forrest currently plays in the squad. So that, I agree. Third, that third winger on the right. Totally agree. Yeah, I don't think any of the options you mentioned there, Jared, would be ideal for next season. Uh, even though all of those, I would prefer Vata, but I think it would be probably signing someone that none of us have thought of uh, to, to come in from wherever uh it could be south america you know who knows it's someone like, from turkmenistan or somewhere that no one's ever heard of yeah if that feels more likely kids. than Rocco vata stepping in or haxibanovich moving across or anything like that looking to get that lucrative uh tv deal in turkmenistan eh? <laughs> absolutely that's the, that's what i want <laughs> oil and gas fields there. there's plenty of money there you that's go <laughs> All gonna say is, would Karamoko have been an option if he's still at the club? I don't even know what he's doing. I just want to see the comments. <laughs> he's not. He's not really getting a game. Yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. It's unfortunate. So the last thing on this whole topic for me is, yeah, we we've all heard about a barter. If he leaves, I'm sure we could get we'll get someone else. Blah blah blah. So I want to bring up a comment that I've got on. My phone, first of all, got it sent to us by a regular listener, James Murphy. He sent me a message saying, if you're discussing Leo Labarda possible transfer, in my it's my opinion it's too soon for him to move as he has plenty of stuff that he needs to work on, his final pass, crossing, shooting. He should stay with Celtic longer and develop. If he goes to England, he's not physically, physically developed enough yet and will be a mistake. I would sell him if he becomes a distraction and pocket the $10 million. So that's his take. I wanted to bring that up because I was having a chat with him about it during the week. But before we do that here, Patrick McLaughlin, if Southampton get relegated, he's definitely not going, certainly not going there. So that is a, that's a factor as well. But we mentioned, one of you has mentioned, I can't remember, Juranovic, Jakimakis, all the rumours that we heard for three or four months. I think it was you, Shane, who said that. We heard that for three or four months before the window. They got their moves. The current two that are being spoken about are Starfelt and Abada. So if they're the guys that are moving on, we've still got more than enough talent there. Like you've got Kobayashi's already in the door to play that left centre-back position, so you just need to strengthen and get a, another guy for there. And then it'd just be replacing Abada, who's technically your backup with, as Sean said, a Jota-type player. I think that's the ideal scenario that we've pretty much come across here. All in a grants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. All right. We'll move that topic there. Last topic. We like we like to have a bit of a uh, 
a chuckle when it comes to, uh, you know. Uh, so the topic here, talking about VAR, we mentioned early on we talk about it. So a former Barry Ferguson has called for VAR to be scrapped in Scotland. What are your thoughts on this? So we'll just get a quick one or two sentences each on it. So, Sean, what's your thought on Barry Ferguson? Okay. Oh, what's my thoughts on Barry Ferguson? <laughs> I thought you were going to see a VAR there. Yeah. And then on his comments about VAR. Uh, Barry Ferguson is the idiot's idiot. And I don't know how he ever got a job coaching or managing. He's uh, one of the most vapid human beings I've ever met. And it's like... It's like being back in the streets of Glasgow, hanging out with gangs, listening to them talk. Anyway, uh, in terms of VAR, I think Pandora's box is open and you, you can't really close it now. Uh, before, when referees consistently made uh, an arse of things, we could go, well, they only get one look at it. We don't have VAR is not an option. Well, now that VAR is an option, uh, they're never going to... I mean, like, if we did get rid of it, then it would just be every week. Oh, VAR would have seen that. VAR would have picked this. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's an it doesn't make sense. We need to get better at it, but to scrap it is would be even worse. Yep. So we've got comment here from Patrick McLaughlin. First time I've ever heard Barry Ferguson talk <laughs> sense. Disagree. You're bound to actually get something right eventually. So. Yeah, yeah. As a broken I, don't cork, yeah. I don't agree with that. Shane, Johnny, what are your thoughts? We'll go to you first, Shane. I've done a complete 180 on all of this in the last few weeks, and it actually all comes back to the discussion Sean and Liam had um, about it uh, a few weeks ago now. I think Liam was on the show, Sean was in the comments. Um, and reading what I saw from Barry and also Ali McCoist as well, uh, also indicating don't, it don't should be gone. Still got to bring him back. Oh, sorry. Okay. Whoops. Sorry. I'm bearing the lead. Uh, no, uh, you can't get rid of it and you shouldn't get rid of it now because uh, it is doing an awesome job of highlighting these continued errors and mistakes. It's very easy, as Sean was saying, to to just sort of throw your hands up and say, well, we don't have a second look at it. We don't have VAR or VAR or however, however you want to uh, refer to it. But now we do. And so it's becoming harder and harder for these mistakes to kind of go through without any kind of um, critique or, or criticism externally. And it's shining a light on the situation. So uh, no, he's wrong and it should stay. Johnny, before we go to you, I've got to bring up this comment from Angelo Tyro. I never, ever thought I would see Andrew Tate's name mentioned on this podcast, <laughs> but here we go. Var and rest remind me of Andrew Tate. Top 1% of men that bangs everything. I don't think I understand that. Yeah. That's similar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we'll Andrew Tate, Van we, we attract them all. That's... I'd, had to bring it up just for fun. But yeah, we've got um, just with Johnny, back to you. Yeah, look, I, I, do, do I agree with Barry Ferguson? No, I don't. Obviously, it's Barry Ferguson. Uh, I, I think I, I think as we said, it, it's, it's here. It, it's not going anywhere. We we always needed it. I think it probably does improve refing, um, and that's to say that it was shite to begin with, and it's now moved up by you know ten percent. So it's still in the 
rotten category, but it's still 10% better. But, um, and, and look, it's still football, right? It's still, there's still interpretation and it's an art. None of it is like clear cut every single time. Everybody has opinions, including all of us, the ref, everyone. Um, and it's no different in your league. Like if you, if you follow English football, everybody moans about refs not understanding VAR. They all want it scrapped down there. It's the same in like, the German league is the same in the Spanish league. Everybody hates VAR, but to get rid of it would, would just be worse. So I think it's just it's just football, right? We all we all disagree and we all um, have opinions. So we need it. It has to stay around. We need to get better at using it. Um, and I think that's just going to take years, to be honest. So, yeah, not going anywhere. Now to what Shane brought up before, a certain former, you know, Hun manager, <laughs> Ali McCoyst where he, he made a comment of, is the answer to the issues with VAR to employ former professional players who can assist in the process in some some way? Is can that something that would... Well? <laughs> yeah, that, that's something that he said. Now, also, there's talk of the Scottish FA looking into whether, looking into whether bringing in VAR specialists the rest of the season will help clear up the the dramas that they had on the weekend with the seven stuff ups, basically. So, on the two of them, Shane, we'll go to you because you mentioned him by name earlier. Ali McCoy's solution. What do you think of that? And then, what do you think of the the SFA's solution of our specialists? Well, I don't agree with the the former player side of thing to assist. Like, I I kind of get the idea behind it. It's probably to give it more of a, a player's feel to the situation. Uh, so it's not just the ref interpreting it. But I don't think that's the answer we're after here, to be honest. So no, I don't agree with that position. In terms of the the VAR specialists, um, I'll wait to see uh, how that pans out and whether that makes a difference. Uh, obviously, we need something. We need a bit of a circuit breaker with the mistakes that are happening. Um, we can't really keep seeing what's going on. And, and the uh, the Sakala one from, um, from the Motherwell game was just ridiculous, really. So um, anything that's going to assist with improving that, I'm open to, but... Um, Forgive me for taking a negative view. I'd like to, to, I think the proof of the pudding's in the eating, right? I'd like to see how it improves first before I say whether it's uh, worked or not. Johnny? Ali McQuist, first of all, and then the other one? Um, well, I, I kind of agree a little bit with McQuist here in in that I've, I've, I've never really played football at any sort of level, right? Um. For, and, and so I've, I very much have to listen to other people who have and and those that have you know actually been in that sort of high that sort of level that high pressure and stuff and we've spoken this about before but with like you know the biomechanics and that got scrapped is this a good idea i i i think i think it probably is oh, that and that's just that's my honest opinion in this because i i don't think refs really reach a high enough level to understand everything that's going on, the sort of fluidity of, of football games and stuff. And they, not that they're black and white, but it's just that they, they, there might be certain things that were completely unavoidable or, and then the people are getting penalised for it and stuff. So it would be good to have another opinion in a decision-making process, right? So, uh, and that has to come, no, no refs really, you, you, don't, you never hear about ex-football players becoming refs, right? Um, so I, I, I think, I personally think it'd be quite a good idea and it'd be, it'd, it'd be quite, It'd be worth trying, be you know, a bit out there and stuff. So a bit more innovative for, 
So I, I, I like the idea of it. So, yeah. Strangely, I kind of agree with McQuaist on this one. I know, I felt dirty. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a vinegar in my mouth. That was horrid. So, Sean, before we go to you to wrap this up, I'm going to bring up some comments on on this and then we'll come back to you on that. So, uh, Peter Caliero, if they do scrap VAR, they should at least get goal line technology. We got. Don't have goal line. Uh, I've got goal line technology, right? No, we nope, don't. No. Jesus. Pete Morton, it's full time rest. We need ridiculous that we still don't have them. There are plenty of dodgy decisions happening around the world, mostly because of poorly worded, overcomplicated rules. Sean, respond to that because you, you've done your ref stuff. So go on. Yeah, they just keep making changes. Uh, even that's like it's yeah. The, he's right. He's right. As the, every time <laughs> something changes, there's an un, there's unanticipated consequences to that change from the way it's worded. So you can call it poorly worded, but the same thing happens in law, right? You make a law, and then somebody finds a way to interpret it in some way that's not intended, and that's that is what happens every time they make a new rule or change a rule in football. I think it needs to settle for a while. Mark, I think you stop making changes. Yeah, that, I agree with that. Mm. Mark, you want the comments for VAR to work? We need better refs. We need to get in the line of professional refs. And we, then we should employ refs from abroad. Forget Scottish refs. They are mostly Rangers fans and useless. Agreed. <laughs> with with the complete... overall concept, not just the uselessness and bias. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and bringing VAR specialists wherever they are in admission that even with VAR, the refs are still shockingly poor. Factual, correct. I, yeah. I can. I think what what they mean by VAR specialist do they not mean like video operators rather than referees? Is that not what they mean? That's what I thought as well. Guys who yeah. know the technology better, who have had more experience on it, who can then yeah, also can... while they're doing it, they can have the refs sitting next to them, learning from them in a live situation. Yeah, because at the moment it's probably Nick Walsh and Andrew Dallas going <laughs> left click. Left click. No, no, you're right clicking. Left click. Left click on it. Trying to draw the lines with an etch sketch just to get the, uh, the, the plan. The trackball yeah. on the mouse is broken, <laughs> damn it. Yeah. That paper on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> that's just how they got that. the cicala. Just, so that's how the cicala one was given then. That's just yeah. <laughs> Peter Caliero, the problem with former players is too many of them don't know the laws of the game. Oh, they, yeah. they didn't know the laws of the game when they played, and they certainly don't know it now because it's changed. Exactly. So. RL77, without honest mistakes, the game is dead. To a degree, oh, but there's, yeah. there's, there's, on, there's honest mistakes, and then there's honest, honest mistakes. mistakes right? Right? Yeah, exactly. And then our, our mate Mahesh in the comments here, outsource VAR to Bangalore, completely neutral. Just, <laughs> it's the best you know, idea gets, so far. Yeah, yeah it's so sensible. Yeah, make it happen. It's cheaper, uh, they're unbiased. Yeah. Um, they could probably communicate better. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, like, let's be honest, in 10, in 10 years, AI will have the capability of doing this job. Yeah. Yeah. Probably less than 10 part. years. Yeah. Yeah. So, just, for professional referees, their days are numbered in a sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, um, did we all go through that? So, Sean, on Ali's comments and then the specialists, we'll get you to uh, give us oh, your no, opinions I'm, and then finish off. The commenter's comment uh, covered it. I, I've got my bit in responding to that. I, I, I think we should have video technicians in there. Besides, instead of having two referees, one referee and one video technician, I think. Yeah. 
Yeah, it just makes most sense. And there's surely there's a, a plethora, a huge amount of um, professionals that could come in that maybe not classified right now as VAR specialists, but they've got some other background. Maybe they work in film or TV or, or do you know what I mean? And they could just learn the technology and walk in and sort of make it work. All right. It's be so, hard to find to, so to finish it off there, we've pretty much covered all that. We'll see how it all plays out. I think as long as there's improvement, then we've just got to live with it. But a couple of last comments. Michael Ross, the refs are shockingly poor. RL77, how hail Bangalore CSC. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We'll leave that topic there. Uh, before we finish off the pod, we've got um, a bunch of our flags for sale. Send us an email if you want one, admin at celticdownunder.com. They are... <laughs> We actually just sold one right before I got on here, so that's pretty handy. Happy days. And um, we'll go to our final thoughts, but before that, Instagram and Twitter at Celtic Down. You can find us on YouTube and on Facebook. Look for Celtic Down Under. The boxing kangaroo over the over the logo is, uh, you know, pretty, pretty ob- easy to find. And uh, final thoughts. So, Johnny, we'll go to you first. Okay, well, music as always. Um, I ended up listening to heaps of new artists this week, and I don't know why. I just sort of got into different tangents and stuff. So I kind of I've picked out just the one, obviously, and it's one that I tended to listen to on repeat a lot this week. And the artist is called Yola, not Yolo, but Yola. Um, and the reason why I got onto them is um, kind of a convoluted way, but uh, the Black Keys, one of my favorite bands the one of the guys from the black keys went solo which is um dan oback 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 um who's a very good solo artist and he ended up producing uh albums for this artist yola um and she's great she's phenomenal if you like sort of soul sort of indie rock maybe slightly country but more probably on the soul um spectrum uh, give give her a listen she's uh, multiple bangers so yeah like there's no no real one song to listen to but just go through the albums they're all very very good very um yeah big vocals and stuff so yeah give her a listen yola in the comments angelo tyro pj reckons primal scream always banging on about him paul over on axon so that's his music <laughs> one as well we'll throw that in shane you got a final thought Yes, mate, and uh, it's also in the uh, music realm. Sorry, Johnny, I'm uh, intruding on your uh, area <laughs> no, again. More. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it. It came up on my feed this week that um, the wonderful uh, Stop Making Sense, the wonderful concert film by Talking Heads from uh, roughly 40 years ago, uh, the one where David Byrne is wearing the awesomely huge suit on stage if you haven't seen it please google it uh is getting uh, remastered uh in uh, 4k and is going to be uh re-released and hitting cinemas again and um the group that are uh, doing it or behind it a24 i think they are put out a uh, wonderful little uh, video online of uh, david picking up his uh wonderful huge huge gray suit uh from the dry cleaners 39 years on so uh, it got me very excited for it. It's a, it's a wonderful concert film and uh, looking forward to seeing it in 4K. So uh, stop making sense. Talking heads, get around it. Sean, final uh, thought? 
Yeah, I can't I can't necessarily recommend the music that I listen to the most of the time. It's mostly just Coco Melon and the Wiggles. Um, <laughs> so I, I do get to dance a lot, but I can't say it's up there as my favourites. Uh, yeah, other than that, uh, I've, I've been watching Ozark on Netflix. That's surprisingly good. Uh, and the only Great other show. thing is just just happy to still be just had a thought earlier on this week, like, because I'm really busy at the moment. So I was just wondering, like, oh, man, why do I do this podcast? And it's like, I do, I do really enjoy it. And like, being out here in Australia is, um, you know, it's different when you're in Scotland. You, everywhere you go, like, you go to work, you go to school, you, go, you get in a bus and you're just talking to people about Celtic and Scottish football and the title race or whatever. It's constant. You can't, you can't go an hour without talking about Scottish football. And you come out to Australia and then there's like, nothing like when you come out here your interests suddenly become niche and you could go like i'll talk to my dad every second week in the phone or whatever or i'll go to the supporters club a few times a year and other than that nothing just just get to listen to podcasts so like being able to do this podcast with you guys is, is really great it lets me uh scratch that itch that you don't get when you're outside of scotland uh you know just talk to like-minded people and share your interest in what is very much a niche thing and it, it makes getting up at 3am to watch Celtic games so much more enjoyable knowing that I'm going to have someone to talk about it before the next one comes around I'd hey, be hey, you on short yep, hey, yeah, appreciate each and every person who's on this podcast getting on and you know talking Celtic it's great fun so um, my final thought is just be nice to each other that's pretty much it um, thanks everyone for tuning in Hail, hail, and we'll talk to you next week. Hail, hail, hail. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.